The path of fearlessness is connected with what we do right now, today, rather than with anything theoretical or waiting for a cue from somewhere else. The basic vision of warriorship is that there is goodness in everyone. We're all good in ourselves. We have our own warrior society within our own body. We have everything we need to make the journey already. Welcome to the Chrissy Crash Podcast. I'm Chrissy Crash, a former smoker, drinker, fast food eater, unhappy bartender, transformed into a roller derby athlete, runner, and fitness coach. Each week, I'll bring you an insightful guest or lesson learned from my own perfectly imperfect life to help you uncover how to create more love, light, joy, and health in your everyday experience despite the chaos and challenges. I believe that life is a contact sport. Let the games begin. This episode of the Chrissy Crash Podcast is brought to you by A Crash Course in Transformation. If you want to get fitter, faster, stronger, leaner, happier, more organized, and just have a super badass life, then A Crash Course in Transformation is for you. Through customized workouts, nutrition education, one-on-one coaching, and a badass community, we help you create the life that you love and get on the path to sustainable living in just 12 weeks. Click the link in the show notes to join us or go to chrissycrash.com. What's up, my friends? Chrissy Crash here, and I'm excited to be sharing with you today the lessons I'm learning and and things that I'm getting from Smile at Fear, Awaken the Heart of Bravery by Chogyam Trungpa, who is a meditation master. And I think that this book uh, came into my life at probably the most perfect time, you know, selling everything, traveling the world. Uh, It is definitely the best time to become a warrior and to be open to, you know, taking on challenges in my life, which is why I wanted to make this podcast about you know, about the, the concept of, of fairy tale endings, this sort of fairy tale factor, if you will. Because the thing is, is, when we want something, the magic of the thing, you know, is that it's this possibility and it seems sparkly and shiny. And we say to ourselves, like, okay, well, you know, once I get there, things will be magical. But the problem is, the fairy tale factor is that once we get wherever it is we wanted to go that we thought was going to make life grand, it, it just becomes life, right? It loses that someday luster. And it, and it, you know, for example, getting out to Cyprus, all of a sudden it's just life. You know, I've still got a grocery shop. I got to take my dog out to go poop. I got to pick up his poop and throw it away. You know, I got to get work done. And, and we have these ideas in our life that, that, things will be so magical if we can just get there, right? You know, in the Cinderella and Prince Charming story, it's the marriage problems and the the child raising that comes after. You know, they don't talk about that part. It's just, and they lived happily ever after. You know, and we think that that everything is going to be solved and this idea of happily ever after, it, it makes us happy as long as we know it's coming, right? If we know that what is coming towards us, we're like, yes, I'm going to have this thing, like for me, like I'm going to go travel and it's going to be magical. Or, you know, we can have these terrible feelings of like, oh, there's this thing that I want and I know I can never have it. And so we experience feelings about something in the future now. And so it's not actually the now that typically brings us joy, right? It's actually the future possibility of it. 
I mean, for example, if you go on vacation, it's, it's the week before vacation, you're at work, you've got a shit ton of stuff to do to finish work, but you're going on vacation tomorrow, right? And so you're having the best day at work, right? Because you're like, yes, I'm going on vacation tomorrow. I'm so excited. And then you go on your vacation. What's the worst day of your vacation? Maybe three days before your vacation is over and you realize, oh shit, I have to go back to work. So here you are sipping a coconut on a beach, bummed that you have to go back to work. It's not about the in the moment. It's the possibility that we're living into. And so if we can realize like that, that, it's the story that we're telling ourselves that's making us happy or making us sad. If we can really get that once we're in the moment, it's about what we're living into, right? And so many of us, we use this as a way to numb ourselves, okay? Because these are all stories that we tell ourselves, right? It's our, our narration of, of what's coming versus what's happening right now in the now. And so when we live our lives outside of reality, we might be happy or excited or depressed or sad. And these are all feelings that we chase or run away from to avoid reality, right? Because reality is just sort of this present stillness and moment. And when we live in meaning, we're not living in what is. Because what is, it can be kind of boring. And our brain needs to create story around it. We're literally meaning-making machines. And so I'm reading this book, Smile at Fear, and, and they talk about, you know, the ways of the warrior and, and the warrior in the sense of someone who's, who's fearless, not necessarily courageous or aggressive, but at peace with fear, who smiles at fear, right? And when we stop numbing ourselves with someday or yesterday or meanings, and we become present to what just is, it's a really interesting place. And this has been really profound for me because whenever I've found myself really present in the world, you know, in the past, I've always thought I felt sad. Have you ever experienced that where it's like you're sort of at peace in a moment, maybe you find some stillness and there's just sort of like this, this fundamental like tenderness, right? And, and it's interesting that at the bottom of all of this, nothing, there's sadness. And, and I would always find ways, and maybe you do this too, to like numb or distract myself with excitement or joy or food, you know, to really run away from that gentle sadness. You know, it's not really depressed, but it's sort of like, almost like it's raw. And so one of the things that really hit me as I was reading this book is there's this quote where he says, fear does not allow fundamental tenderness to enter us. When tenderness tinged by sadness touches our heart, we know that we're in contact with reality. We feel it. That contact is genuine, fresh, and quite raw. And the sensitivity is the basic experience of warriorship. So this tinge of sadness, you know, according to the book is, is part of being in reality. And we're really unaccustomed to being open and vulnerable to the now. And, and we misinterpret that like sadness is badness, right? And it really comes from our fundamental realization that in the present moment, there's nothing, right? When the stories of how great something's going to be or how magical, it just sort of settles in. There's just nothing. And if there's just now and now and now, and if we let go of the past and someday and we just fall into the, the void of just the nowness, we actually cease to exist. 
And the reason that we are so anxious to get out of this whole nowness, this nothingness is, you know, the reason that you're pulled away from it is its ego, right? Because inside of nothingness is the death of the ego. And one of the quotes in this book where they talk about the ego and why we feel that way, it says that the ego feels rather lonely and at the same time keeps busy trying to defend itself because fundamentally the ego knows it doesn't exist. And so it finds that it, it consists of a collection of, of desires and expectations, ideas, conclusions, memories, and many other things. And this collection is too complex for the ego to grasp. Therefore, conveniently, it constructs I am or I am the ego. And it tends to put this label on itself as if it was a real individual entity, as if we think we're all real individual entities. And having found a name for itself, the ego has to constantly work to secure itself because fundamentally it knows that it's not real and sound. So the ego keeps busy trying to build a wall around itself to shut itself away from the other. And then, of course, having created this a barrier, immediately the ego wants to communicate with the other, which is now perceived as outside or not part of itself. And so what we do, right, is in those still moments, we immediately create separateness. Instead of just being present, we create problems. Instead of being present, we create seeking not to be bored, right? And so we, we fundamentally, it's not our fault. There's nothing wrong. It's just that our ego, our our you know, entire existence is fighting to stay in existence versus admitting that it doesn't really exist. You know, we see ourselves as separate creatures. You look at your body, right? Touch your legs, touch your arms. You say, this is me. I am this body. But really consider that your body is full of hundreds of thousands of organisms. You know, you have microbacteria. You literally have little bugs and insect type things on top of your, your skin that are eating away the mold that keep you from rotting. And yet we live like we're just this single body when really we are an organism made up of a bajillion different organisms. And yet somehow we think that we're one unified being that is separate from, from everyone else. And that's the ego. The ego is trying to keep that separateness, trying to keep the body alive. So since reading this book, I have taken on allowing that gentle sadness and allowing that present moment to really just be raw and open and welcoming it, right? Allowing that this is it. And all we have is now and now and now. And, you know, I met this beautiful Airbnb out in Cyprus and I got here in the first day. Oh my gosh, you guys, the first day was meaning. I mean, I was here. I was like, yeah, this is gorgeous. I can't believe I finally made it. I've been waiting for this forever. And then I woke up the next day in that stillness, in that tenderness, in that presence. And immediately my brain interpreted it as sadness, depression, run away, find something to do, make it exciting again. Versus just being in the stillness, being in the present moment without having somewhere else to get to. Right? And many of us will have these knee-jerk reactions to get ourselves out of it. Right, It's our ego kicking in and taking over and we'll worry or, or make meaning or find something to distract ourselves. And one of the things that really hit me from the book is he says sometimes people find that being tender and raw is threatening and seemingly exhausting. Openness seems demanding and energy consuming. So they prefer to cover up their tender heart. Vulnerability can sometimes make you nervous. 
It's uncomfortable to feel so real. You want to numb yourself. You look for some kind of an anesthetic, anything that will provide you with entertainment. Then you can forget the discomfort of reality. People don't want to live with their basic rawness, even for 15 minutes. When people say they're bored, often they mean they don't want to experience the sense of emptiness, which is also an expression of openness and vulnerability. And so they pick up the newspaper or read anything else that's lying around the room. Have you ever found yourself even reading the back of a cereal box, right? Just to entertain yourself. The search of entertainment, you know, just to babysit your boredom soon becomes legitimized as laziness. And such laziness actually involves a lot of exertion. You have to constantly crank things up to occupy yourself, to overcome your or your boredom by indulging in laziness. And he says, for the warrior, fearlessness is the opposite of the, that approach. Fearlessness is a question of learning how to be. Be there all along. That's the message. So here's the thing, guys. We were put on this planet to experience life right? The ups, the downs. And, and at the end of the day, it doesn't really mean anything. We don't really mean anything. And it's so interesting, this, this presence, the more that I, I think about it and the more, you know, places I've felt it in my life, you know, I think especially living in Los Angeles, our world can be so bright and shiny, um, that when I get outside of such a manicured place and I just see the world, you know, I feel it when, when I drive, you know, through this city that I'm in right now and, and I see not necessarily my idea of, you know, what a pretty sparkly city should be, but like the reality of it, you know, a, a dirt paved road and, and a building that's crumbling to the ground and, you know, a rusting truck and realizing that in reality, everything is not shiny and new. Everything falls apart. And then seeing the beauty in that. You know, seeing the beauty in a crumbling building and realizing that there's just birth and death and that's it. I read a book a while ago called The Denial of Death by Ernest Becker and, and he talks about, you know, this terrifying reality that the planet is just a birth and death machine, right? And, and things are created and they exist and they rot back into the earth and then this includes us, right? And as humans, this is terrifying, and so we make up all of these stories to justify our existence, right? It's like a survival mechanism. And Becker argues that like this basic duality in human life existence between the physical world of objects and the symbolic world of human meaning. And so it's like humans were able to, to transcend this dilemma of mortality through heroism, Right? We focus our attention on problems and solving them, and it allows us to have our, our physical self bonded with our symbolic self. And so we make these meanings and we make these heroic stories, whether it's, I'm a mom and I have children, or you know, for me, my symbolic story is, you know, I help people get healthy and I save the world. And really, all these things are is their ego stories. Their ego stories to justify that we exist individually. And we don't really exist, you guys. We think we do because we've created explanations called time and space, but these are all just man-made interpretations of the universe. I mean, really, really think about it, okay? Time is measured by revolutions of the earth. So outside of the earth, there's only time relative to our planet, right? And, and we live our whole lives like we're so sure which direction is up, but realistically, yo, up is super relative, right? Because on the other side of the planet, up is really down, 
right? Because they're also calling it up because their feet are planted on the ground, but the earth is fucking round. So even something as fucking fundamentally simple as, as up is fabricated intricately out of a long weaved story of perspective. And, and we falsely accept this as reality. Okay. Now I'm not meaning to get all like woo woo and crazy on you here, but, but it's actually kind of fucking beautiful, right? Because if you don't exist and nothing means anything and all reality is completely subjective because all we have is now and our interpretations of it and the stories that we've created based on the past and the stories we've created based on the future, we can literally create anything that we want. And the thing about that is it turns life into a beautiful game. We get to ask ourselves, what story do I want to tell myself? When we're having a bad day, when things are rough, right? One of the things that they say inside of Smile at Fear is when you acknowledge that you feel so wretched, you can actually feel fully cheerful. And that's the interesting twist, right? Because you're being a wholesome, honest person. And usually we aren't this honest, right? And you may think that you can cheat the universe. And out of that, you develop all sorts of like naughty or neurotic potential potentialities, convincing yourself that you do not have to look into your situation honestly. However, when you're just there, then you see the actual darkness and that will inspire the light. Because in fact, there is no such thing as true self. The solidly real self doesn't exist. And when you see yourself genuinely, you find that the concept of reality actually starts to fade. Instead, you find a very large space there, which is unconditional and contains ventilation and breathing space. And when you've seen yourself fully, you begin to feel good unconditionally. And so from that space, we can take on whatever it is that we want to take on, allowing the goodness, allowing the hard times, allowing the great feelings, allowing the not great feelings. And we really get to take on life as a warrior would. We get to take on life as a challenge. And this allows us to be without story and just go for it. In the book, they say, if we accept a challenge and take certain steps to accomplishing something, the process will yield results, either success or failure. And when you choose to sow a seed or plant a tree, either the seed will germinate and the tree will grow or it will die. Similarly, for the inquisitive warrior, trust means that we know that our actions will bring a definite response to reality. We know that we'll we'll get a message. Failure is generally telling us that our actions have been undisciplined and inaccurate in some way. Therefore, it fails. And when our action is fully disciplined, it usually is fulfilled and we have success. But those are responses and they're not regarded as either punishment or congratulations. And so with that, we can ask ourselves, well, what do we want in our lives? And we go towards it. We plant those seeds and we take a look at, okay, was there success or failure? And then from that, we choose a new path of what we need to learn, what we need to get better at, what worked, what didn't. And it no longer becomes about judgment. It no longer becomes about meaning of who we are, which brings me back to this whole fairy tale factor, right? The happily ever after that can't exist because it lives in the future. And once the future becomes now, it just becomes what is, right? It's not overwhelming, magical joy. You might have that for a second as you make meaning about it, but after a while, it just settles into what is and it either happened and you feel great for a second and it settles or it didn't happen you feel bad for a second and it didn't but these are just lessons they're not judgments 
And so if all we have is now, and we can never have a happily ever after, then all we have is the opportunity to practice being present and open and grateful now, allowing that gentle sadness, you know, having gratitude for anything we can see or feel or touch or be right in this moment with. You know, whether it's easy or hard, whether it's sharp or soft, it's going to be our teacher. And, and that's the whole point of this, this pointless thing that we call life, right? It's to be tender. It's to be those, those nerve endings, not hiding from, but really truly feeling every single moment. And so if you're like me and you know, you've been hiding from or, or making wrong this gentle sadness, I mean, you guys, I have been doing this my entire life. So many moments that I found the present moment and I didn't realize that it was just me being open in presence. I made it wrong. And ever since I read those words, that, that tender sadness of reality, I've welcomed it and it feels more like home. It feels more like a place that I can settle and not fear because I know that it's just my ego reacting that wants to run away. So if you've been wondering about that or you've noticed this in your life and you've mistaken this as wrongness, you know, maybe try opening up to it, just allowing it to be. Notice when the ego kicks in, notice when you try to escape it. And you know, this is where meditation comes in. Meditation is an amazing way to start noticing the workings of the ego because we sit and we're present and you can allow thoughts to happen and we can have that, that sort of chatter in our brain, right? But we don't necessarily have to buy into it. One of the things they say in the book about meditation and your brain workings is usually if you have mental chatter, you call it your thoughts. But if you have deeply involved emotional chatter, you give it special prestige. You think that they deserve special privilege of being called emotions. Somehow in the realm of the actual mind, things don't work that way. Whatever arises is just thinking, thinking you're horny, thinking you're angry, right? And as far as meditation practice is concerned, your thoughts are no longer regarded as like VIPs. And, and while you meditate, you think and you sit and you think and you sit and you think and you sit and you have thoughts and you have thoughts about thoughts and you, you just let it happen that way and just call them thoughts. And that's it. That's all they are. We just let them pass by, whether it's in the practice of meditation and in our regular life, you can do the exact same thing, right? So my challenge to you, my request for you, my request for myself, this is something that I'm personally working on. As I promised you guys along this, this traveling journey of my dog and my backpack that I would share with you what's opening up for me. And this has been such a huge one, you know, being in such a still space is, is spending more time in the now and less time trying to escape from it. And just having a little more trust in the process. And just to close things out, you know, on the note of trust, the one thing that really hit me in this book is he says, trust then is being willing to take a chance, knowing that what goes up must come down, as they say. When a warrior has that kind of trust in the reflections of phenomenal world, then she can trust her individual discovery of goodness. Communication either produces results and they're either successes or failures. And that's how the fearless warrior relates to the universe. Not by remaining alone and secure, hiding away, but by constantly being exposed to the phenomenal world and constantly being willing to take that chance. So... As you move into the rest of your day, the rest of your week, the rest of your month, the rest of your life, I challenge you, be open, 
Be willing to be present. Be willing to feel the wind on your skin, the silence in your home, the, the, let the chaos move around you without trying to create story about it, without trying to, to make meaning from it, without trying to escape it. Because inside of that, I think that there's a lot of really amazing life to be lived. And if we can take on life like a warrior, if we can take on challenges and use the results as information, if we can understand that there is no fairy tale factor, there is just right fucking now. And in this moment, whatever it is, is fucking perfect. So I love you. Thank you for joining me today. Um, this has been a really special uh, first couple of you know weeks on the road. I'm excited to keep sharing with you guys along the way. Next week, you'll be hearing another one of the interviews from back when I was in Denver. I'm excited to share that with you guys as well. So thank you, thank you so much for investing your time. It's the one thing we can't get back in life is our time. So if, if you love this, if this message spoke to you, please share it with someone. Text the link to a friend. Post the link on your Facebook page. Screenshot it. You know, Share it on your Facebook or your Instagram story. Or maybe you have a, a Facebook group or a WhatsApp thread or, or something where you, know, you communicate with other people. Because I think that the world is waking up. And the more that we can share and help each other wake up and be present, the happier and more at peace our world can be today. And, you know, there's a lot of... There's a lot of dis-ease out in the world today. And if each of us plays our part in helping not only ourselves, but the people around us, that's how we make the planet a better place. So just remember, life is a contact sport. She who touches the most lives wins.